Sweetness, guys. Well, good morning again. So fun each week uh, as we dismiss the kids. I love to hear them. I've heard back from some of you too as well. It's fun to hear them as they go out and, and walk out. And it's something as we're committed as a church of having the kids in our service. That's just part of the deal, isn't it? Sometimes we get a little noise during the songs, during the prayer, and I think it's a good thing. And we just keep plowing forward because it's valuable to have them here. And I love when we hear them uh, walk out with our uh, teachers each week. Um, and I want to encourage you as we think in that along those lines of our kids over these next three weeks, over these next three weeks to be, in particular, praying for our Sunday school teachers and our kids. We use this fantastic um, curriculum that uh, Anna Burnham, our children's director, and I have kind of found and picked out, and she kind of did most of the legwork on it, but it's called The Gospel Project. It's a chronological, Christ-centered Bible study for kids, which chronologically walks through the Bible, uh, pointing all the stories and and children uh, through those stories to Jesus Christ. And currently, they're heading into the crucifixion this morning, right now. So they're heading in these next three weeks into the crucifixion and the resurrection and then the appearance to the disciples. So these are really three critical weeks throughout the year for our students and maybe your kids as they just walked away from you. Um, so let's be in prayer for them and their teachers uh, these three crucial weeks that they will th- rightly handle the word of truth, which is a phrase from our passage today. Let's say a little prayer for them now. Can we do that? Lord, be with our kids as they head to hear your word. And, and in particular today, they are going to look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I would pray, Heavenly Father, that you would impact them using their teachers, using the word, using the story of Jesus Christ, willingness to suffer and die for us, willingness to take on the wrath we deserve as sinners, that he could do that for us, and that he, he paid away uh, the price and paved a way back to God for us. Lord, I pray there'd be new fruit and even a new conversion in hearts today in that room, in those rooms. Use those teachers, we pray. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Keep praying for them. Will you do that? Yes? Okay, good. Keep praying for them over these next three weeks as you think about it. Those messages would keep resonating, going deeper into their hearts, and next week is the resurrection. Um, so just keep that in mind. Uh, so from Sunday school this morning to another ministry to children, I'm curious, I have a question. Any of you ever grow up going to Awana? Anybody? Okay, we've got a couple. Anybody ever lead or help in Awana? Anybody? Okay, a couple. I see a couple of hands. Um, Awana, uh, it was a ministry uh, that's to children, midweek ministry, studying the Bible, hearing lessons, reading it together. I would love, I would love for us someday uh, to have an Awana club as a ministry here to our kids and maybe a community uh, outreach. I, th- I just think about that. It would be, it'd be so great to have a, a midweek night someday in the future where kids are here studying God's Word and maybe their parents are here too and, and other adults are on campus maybe for a midweek study or something and, or a time of prayer for our children in the church or the youth in the church. And uh, I, I, I dream of that and hope of that someday for our church or something like that. I only spent a year in Awana as a kid. I had other programs as well, but uh, because of the way it's structured, I wish it was more. It's such a, a thoughtful ministry um, centered around the Word. It's not the only one. There's others out there. Um, but as soon as I read our passage this week, a verse jumped out at me. It's on the cover of your worship folder there. Do you, do you see it there? Do your best. Or you see it in the screen behind me. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It's actually the Awana theme verse. That's why it jumped out at me this week. The Awana theme verse, do your best as a worker to handle God's truth in the right way, in the right way. 
And it's what those children in that ministry are challenged and in our Sunday school as well. Uh, it's a big challenge. Handling the Word of God rightly. What an important task that is in the church. When I stand before you on a Sunday morning, my job is in that verse to rightly handle the word of truth. And your job, in some way, is to keep me accountable to that. Your job is, is to do that. We'll see today, we're going to see as we look at this verse and this larger context of this passage, that how we handle the word of truth is so valuable, so important, that even, that, even that life and death are at stake. Not only for our children's souls, as we talk about Sunday school or Awana, but ours too if we don't handle it rightly. The health of our church is at stake. Are you catching from this little letter how important the Word of God is? I hope you are. To our church, to our life, to our salvation, the Word of God. I mean, from the first two chapters alone in 2 Timothy, look at all the references to God's Word or passing it on. They're on a slide behind me. You see, there are all these references. We've got the testimony about our Lord. The Gospel is mentioned. Preacher and teachers are talked about. Paul says, what has been entrusted to me, the Word of God. Uh, the pattern of sound words is another phrase we heard. The good deposit. What you've heard, he says to Timothy. Teach others. My gospel, Paul says. The Word of God, he says. The Word of truth. The knowledge of truth. That's just in the first two chapters of this little letter. All those references. We are to be about as God's people. Here at Bethany Church, or anywhere where they name the name of Christ, about the Word of God. However you want to phrase it, whatever phrase you want to use, what we do then with this book, it matters. On a grand scale, an eternal scale. So, grab your book. It's probably more likely a phone or an iPad, but grab it. Have it in your hand. Hopefully open to 2 Timothy. And the outline as well as, as there is a tool to help you as we go through this passage Today, if you remember, last week, Paul gave us three images. Three images last week. And he reminded Timothy to pattern his life after those images as a pastor. Do you, do you remember what they were? I'm wondering if we can, we can get them as a congregation. What do you think? Remember the three images? Anybody remember any of them? Focused soldier. I, I think I heard that one. Yeah, an athlete who's a competing athlete. Remember the last one? Yeah, hardworking farmer. Those three images that, that Paul gave Timothy last week. And he reminded him, pattern your life after them. Pattern your, remember Christ and the gospel as you live that out. Well, so far, Paul's been reminding Timothy with gospel exhortations. Remember, he said, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Now, it's Timothy's turn to remind the congregation. So Paul's reminded Timothy, and now it's Timothy's turn to remind the congregation. So as we looked at three images last week, this Sunday we're going to look at three more images that are going to help us, us now, the congregation, remember what a gospel worker is to be all about. So here's our first image as we take a look. The first image of what a gospel worker is to be all about, here it is that we'll see from the passage. The unashamed worker, the unashamed worker avoids quarrels but pursues truth as we look at this passage and how it encourages and implores us today with these three images beginning in verse 14 he said again remind them of these things and charge them before god 
not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There's that phrase. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Harmonius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection's already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal the Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. We get two types of workers laid out here. Two types as we think about uh, this image that Paul is putting out for Timothy here. Two types. The unashamed worker, or the good worker, you might say, and the other one, the ashamed worker, or the bad worker, you might say. Our first image that we have is that of a, a pastor, a teacher, who's unashamed by his work, or his handling of God's Word and ministry, as he pursues the truth, as he teaches the truth. And Paul lays out these two kinds of teachers to contrast them, to hold them up for us to see the differences. One who has no need to be ashamed on one hand, and the other who maybe should be ashamed, teaching false doctrine, you might say, or, or incorrect doctrine, or you might even say lies. Well, Timothy, as Paul speaks, and any worker who doesn't want to be ashamed has specific things he's to teach the congregation of, to, to remind them of. Did you see that in verse 14? Remind them of these things. These things, right? He doesn't get to, I don't get to, make up my own stuff. Right? And that's a good thing, actually, isn't it? I don't get to make up my own stuff. I don't get to create an agenda for what I personally would like to discuss. Or I don't even get to really, in some sense, create my vision for the church. It's God's. He's to talk about these things, Paul says. Whether it's the gospel that he just preached in chapter, uh, beginning of chapter 2, or the entirety of Paul's teaching here to Timothy, Timothy must focus now these things on the good deposit. These things. The word of truth, you might call it. And avoid what some others are talking about. So the positive, he has to focus on these things. He doesn't get to make things up, create his own agenda, his own vision, but these things in the positive. But in the negative, he's also supposed to avoid certain things. Avoid what some others are talking about. Paul calls their words in the passage uh, quarrels. Irreverent babble. That's a, quite a phrase. Irreverent babble. Or he says their talk or their words he calls them. To avoid. The unashamed worker is the one who works hard at this. Like the farmer, we thought of those other images. Or the soldier or the, the athlete, as a teacher of, of God's Word, Paul now says to Timothy, what were the words? Do your best. Do your best. In verse 15. Do your best, Timothy. Do your best, pastor. Do your best, elders. Do your best, congregation, as, as any moment you have to share or teach yourself, to teach, to preach, to share without shame. To do the hard work, actually, 
And it is of, 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 of preparation. When we teach, when I preach, do your best, Paul says. It means the preacher, the teacher, has to understand the text. Needs to do some work to organize it, hopefully. To make it clear, to communicate it simply, and to apply it to a group of people. And that takes hard work. Whether you've prepared a, a message to teach as just a teacher, or a, a Bible message, or a Sunday school message, or a, a sermon... It takes hard work. And it shows, doesn't it? Even in the time I've been here for the last six months, there's probably a Sunday when you've walked away going, Pastor was not quite as prepared as I think he probably wanted to be today. That's okay. You can laugh. Yeah, I, I'm being honest here. It's true. It's probably true. You probably walked away because it does take hard work. And sometimes, depending on weeks, things happen, right? You've probably thought that on a Sunday. And that's because it does take hard work. And Paul says that to Timothy. And I thank God on those weeks and all the weeks because I know the power is actually in his word, right? Not in me, not in us, but the power is in God and his word, not in me. And yet, I want so badly to be a hard worker for you and myself too, as I preach to myself. I want to be a hard worker for you so we grow together. And we change, and we find joy, and we find life, and we see value in opening this book together as it explodes off the page, hopefully, as we see it and take it into our lives and change in the gospel week after week. Week after week. That's the life of a church. In some ways, it's a little mundane, but that's just what we do. We gather together week after after week or midweek or in small groups, and we, we open the Word together. But ultimately, verse 15 says, ultimately, even though I want to work hard for you, ultimately I'm presenting myself as a preacher and teacher, or Timothy, as Paul says, to God. Ultimately, when I teach His Word, I'm presenting myself to God. Now, of course, God isn't concerned, and He brings preachers and teachers and elders and Sunday school teachers for the right handling of the truth, for the people too. It's for the people too. But I'm actually, ultimately accountable to him. To him. And, I'm act- and, I, and there's part of me that's glad, there's part of me that's terrified of that, right? If I'm realistic with you, on a Sunday when you uh, open the word together. But there's also part of me that's glad. Here's why. God's word has a lot of hard things to say in it, doesn't it? As you've read it, as you've opened it yourself, as you've heard it preached in the, the past in your life, God's Word has a lot of hard things to say in it. Hard things to say and hard things that means probably what? For all of us, me too, to hear. And if every preacher guarded the impact of his message or what he, what he uh, prepared by everyone and how everyone would respond, there would be a great temptation for preachers and teachers. And there is. I love this quote by Alistair Begg. He gets at the heart of it. The temptation, he says, for pastors is that we will not allow the Bible to say what the Bible says and become, he goes on to say, theologically vague. I mean, think about this. To tell people, whether I'm sharing it here or you're sharing it with them, that that Christ is the only way, or to tell them 
or for us to hear as a congregation that our sin separates us from God or to address sin in real lives as we live in community or to, how about a pastor, addressing the problem of evil as we stand up in light of God's sovereignty. That's hard. Or in the midst of suffering. These are hard things to say. Hard things for us to hear. And so the temptation then for a pastor is to be vague. Or maybe not even be vague, but jump over even and skip big things and skip hard stuff. It's one of the reasons our main diet is going through a book or letters because you can't, what? Skip the hard stuff. You can't. It's, it's, it's a challenge. There's a temp- real temptation there for me, for us. To be vague or not let the word say what the word actually says. But it also means this. At some time in the course of our life together, at some time in the course of our history and ministry and time together, I will say something that you don't like. That's what that means. Something. Something somewhere, somewhere along the way, or maybe challenge one of us, myself or you, in a new way. And you're kind of, what, really? Really? And at that moment, what I want you to do is ask, what does the text say? What does the Bible say? What does God's Word say? Is the pastor handling it rightly? To the best of his ability and the best of maybe what he knows and what he studied? What does the text say? Because ultimately, that's my task. That's our task as we come together. Paul says this phrase, rightly handling the word of truth. That's what he calls it. Rightly handling the word of truth. So you want to ask yourself, is the pastor rightly handling the word of truth? What does that mean? It's kind of a a little ambiguous phrase, a little strange. One of the things I love about um, living in Oregon as being here this past five or six months is when we go on drives. And a lot of you like to do that. Beautiful roads around here. You drive outside of Camby into the countryside and kind of over the little hills and around those, those, those bend of trees. There's another bend in the trees and the, and the farms and just getting out on the road. I love doing that. Maybe you do too. But then all of a sudden, you come to a place in the road where you come to one of those straight long lines that we have out in the countryside, right? It's a lot of winding, but then all of a sudden you come to one of those straight, long lines that just cuts out. And you can see from point A way out to point B. Sometimes you can tell as it goes through trees, you can kind of see that they probably cleared a path here. They probably cut a way through this forest to get this straight line from point A to point B, and you see it way out ahead. That's exactly what Paul is saying when he says, rightly handle the word of truth. It's like a straight road cut through the thick trees of the forest, he says. Straight across the countryside, a road. That's what that means. So the pastor cuts a straight line for everybody, the teacher of the word, so that we can see through the clearing, through the maybe the trees or fogginess or whatever metaphor image you want to think of, to see a straight, straight, narrow path to walk on, to drive on, to, to, to live your life on. Here's a couple of verses to help us get that picture. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your paths. It's really the same phrase that we got in 2 Timothy here. Or the other one. The, righteous of the, blame, uh, the righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight. 
but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. His straight path, rightly handling the word of truth. When you and I gather, get together on a Sunday morning, we open the word, or when you do your own hard work of, of reading your Bible for yourself and studying it and getting to the real meaning, it's like we're going out on a straight country road together. On a journey, you might say. Together to get to the truth, to get to the meat, to get to what it actually says. That's rightly handling the word of truth. And the truth is the way. Even, think about Jesus. The word of God himself in flesh said, I am the way, the truth, the light. It's that same idea. The word points us to the one of the word, the word. And it cuts straight. And God brings life to you and I when we do that. When we cut it straight. When we handle it rightly. And if I don't, or we don't, what happens? What happens? Paul calls it swerving from the truth. Like an arrow that misses its mark. It's absolutely disastrous. There's two examples for us there, isn't there? In the text today. Hymenaeus and Philetus were teaching that the resurrection had already happened. Christ's resurrection had happened, but the people's hadn't. And what does he say there? Because of that, quarrels were taking place in the church. Fighting was happening. Arguing over it, over what do they mean? What are they saying? Does the Bible say that? And it was upsetting people's faith. It was ruining uh, the hearers, Paul says. It's absolutely devastating. That's what Paul wants Timothy to hear. And you and I to hear. Absolutely devastating. Do you know what gangrene is? That's a good transition, isn't it? Do you know what gangrene is? Uh, I was going to get some images. I did not. So you can rest easy. Do you know what it is, though? It's when blood and oxygen are deprived from bodily tissue and it dies. Blood and oxygen now are held back for whatever reason from bodily tissue and it dies. To not speak the truth then, as he talks about like gangrene spreading, to not speak the truth is like spreading death over a body. That's how serious Paul takes this. Like blood and oxygen that bring life to your tissue, to your flesh, the truth brings life, doesn't it? It brings life. Like that blood that brings oxygen into your sorely needed flesh. The truth brings life. We need to be speakers of the truth, as Paul says, and not cut up in those pointless quarrels and debates that are like dead ends. Where do you see that taking place most in your life? Facebook? You ever watch some of those threads that go on, and you're like, maybe it starts out as a good discussion, but it devolves pretty quickly, doesn't it? You're like, and it just goes on 100, 150 comments. You're like, whoa, this, is, this isn't productive for anybody. If you look at that. Maybe you've partaken in some of those. I have myself. But so quickly they can devolve kind of to countless and pointless and hot-headed debates over sometimes minutiae, right? Tiny, like, you're arguing about that? Like, that really, is, does that matter? Doesn't mean it can't be a platform for the truth or other avenues of social media, but it can degrade really fast, can it? You've seen it, I know. So choose wisely. Choose wisely which debates to enter whether it's there or your personal life with others and loved ones that you're hoping to speak the truth to, 
choose them wisely. All right, three images that will help us remember what a gospel worker is to be all about. Our first one was the unashamed worker avoids quarrels, pursues the truth. The second one is this. A useful vessel is clean from the inside out. A useful vessel is clean from the inside out. Beginning in verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Paul is talking about a, a master of a house. It's God's house. And utensils, or think of plates, or nice silver, or china, or wooden spoons. He's talking about that kind of stuff being used in a house. A useful vessel is clean from the inside out. What he's saying basically is this, that clean, true doctrine is to be accompanied by a clean, true life. We sang about it, didn't we? We have our words and deeds not mismatch, but our words to line up with how we live. He's saying that for the preacher, for the teacher. Clean, true, now truth is to be accompanied by a clean life. And he says, flee, flee, run from evil. Run from sin. He calls them youthful passions. And he doesn't just mean there sexual sin. It's more than that. It is that. It's not less. It's more than that. Think of the pride of you or the brashness you had maybe in your 20s that you kind of cooled off a little bit, right? You kind of understand that I wasn't so productive to go in like a bull in a china shop, right? That's kind of what he's talking about. Uh, a hot-headedness maybe, an arrogance, the, the, the passions of, of youth. Run from it, he says. And when we do, anyone who does this now, he says, you and I, we become useful to the master. We become useful and, and ready for good work, he says. Ready to be used by him. And I think about your life now. Doesn't this principle ring true? Something that's cleaned up becomes more useful. I and mean, you think about um, whether it's fixing an engine on your car or, uh, and putting it back together getting your rifle ready, cleaning it, getting ready for hunting season. You want to work true and, and fast and straight, right? That principle rings true. Or how about that junk drawer in your kitchen? <laughs> or your closet you might be thinking of today? To, to take it and to clean it out and to, to organize it, to arrange it, to put it back together, uh, it, it, it puts it back in order. Makes it useful. What was broken or cluttered or out of order becomes useful to you available, ready to do the work you need it to do. From a car to a junk drawer, right? To a rifle, to a cluttered closet or garage. Becomes useful. But here, Paul's calling Timothy to cleanse our lives. Our lives. Not just a junk drawer. It's our life. Here's the question. Do you want to be useful to God? Do you want to be useful to the master of the house? Here's what he's saying. Then pursue real, practical holiness. Pursue a life lived for God. By his grace, by his power, by his truth, he's saying to Timothy, pursue it. Go after it. Do your very best, Timothy. Right? A commentary I was reading this week uh, he quoted this Scottish pastor from a long time ago. 
but his words are relevant and true today. He was quoting this Scottish pastor who was writing a letter to a young seminary student. He said to this young student, I know you apply hard to German. Not me, that's tough, but he's, he knows to hear it. I know you apply hard to German, but do not forget the culture of the inner man. What do you mean? I mean of the heart, he said. It's not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy ministry went on is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Tell Timothy, telling the young pastor here, pursue holiness. Pursue that life. Pursue godliness. And if you do, you are practically becoming more useful to God. Now you may be here today, you may hear me say that. Say, you know, clean your act up, get your life together, and you're finally useful to God. You may hear me say, so does that mean Christianity just means cleaning your life up? That's what Christianity is? Or uh, it's just Christianity is like every other religion, just a bunch of rules to live by? I mean, you might be thinking that today. How is that any different than any other religion? And I would say, if that is your view of Christianity, that it's clean up your life to get to God, clean up your life and, and, and God will, you know, finally approve you, that is not Christianity, actually, at all. But I would go further. I would say that you can't even begin to look at yourself as a vessel in need of uh, inner cleaning, of being cleaned up, of being worked on. You can't even begin to look at yourself until you've already seen you're a vessel, a sinner needing to be saved by grace. You can't even begin to look. Saved by grace alone. Through faith alone and Christ alone, I would say. Right? You don't clean up your act, I hope you hear this, to become a Christ follower. That's not what becoming a Christian means. Becoming a Christian means you accept His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness, but once a sinner saved by grace, you want to be useful. You have a new heart desire to be holy, to be useful. Martin Luther went on, was talking Reformation. He said, we're saved by faith alone, not by works, but not by faith that remains alone. And I know as I think about my own life, as you think about your own life, if you've maybe done some of this self-examination or looking at your heart, as verse 22 calls it, a pure heart to go after. I know it's grace to pursue a pure heart. Because as you do it, you actually have to look at your heart as it is. And that is not always a fun exercise. And apart from grace, it's only actually going to be a discouraging experience. Apart from grace, apart from the forgiveness you have in your Savior, because what you find What's really there, and it's not just about cleaning up your behaviors, what you find sometimes there underneath them is sometimes the motives behind them. The motives behind those actions. The motives behind the things you've done. And that itself, without the grace of Jesus Christ, would only be discouraging. Let me see. I have a, I have a, a, a couple of things that hopefully will help us think of this through. What Paul's going at here of cleaning your vessel and going after your heart and pursuing holiness Here's what, here's what Jesus said. Think about this verse, he said. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of, the evil, uh, out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth, his mouth speaks. So what this means is if you deal with what's only on 
the outside of you and you remain filthy on the inside, we might say, that's kind of the ultimate act of hypocrisy. That'd be just clean yourself up, obey the rules, you're good with God, don't even worry about anything else, just, just kind of live this way, you'll be good. But you don't ever look at your inside, your heart, you might call it, the pure heart, Paul said in this passage. That's hypocrisy. You can assess what's going on inside your heart by what happens outside, but if you only try to clean up the behavior without looking at what's going on inside, you miss the point of Jesus' words. I think you missed the point of maybe where Paul's taking Timothy in this little letter. I love this illustration. It's not original to me, but I saw a pastor once who um, used this illustration, and it stuck with me, so I'm hoping maybe it'll help us understand this concept. What I got here? Yeah, just a water bottle. Just an average, an everyday water bottle, okay? attention kind of growing here people are like, what are you gonna do okay just just watch for a second okay here's our bottle okay okay now i took this bottle i opened it i shook it up and uh, if i was to come and ask you here's a question for you why did the water come out of the bottle yeah i i i shook it up but here's let me rephrase the question for you why did why did water come out of the bottle because yeah because the water was already inside the bottle. Here's what that means. Water becomes out, comes out of the bottle because water was already in there. When you look at your life and you see anger or, or sin or, or bitterness or lust come out of your heart in some actions, here's why it came out of your heart. Because it was already in there. That's what Jesus is saying. The shaking of the bottle, that's just the circumstances of life whether it's a spouse who gave you a harsh word or somebody who cuts you off in traffic or a child who consistently disobeys you, that's just the circumstances, the shaking of the life. How I respond, what comes out of me, it does so because water was in the bottle. It was already inside of you. That's where Jesus is taking us with those words. That's what Paul, the seriousness where he says to Timothy, a vessel cleans up, pursues holiness. This is, this is actually the biblical view of, of sin. That our hearts have a desperate problem. If deeply sinful stuff comes out of me, it's a symptom of something deeper inside of me that's already there. I'm responsible for how I react. The circumstance is just the shaking of life. What comes out of me was already there. That's probably one of those hard things, isn't it? <laughs> hard things to say. Hard things to hear. But a follower of Jesus, a vessel in the master's house, a preacher, teacher, anyone the passage says who wants to be use, useful, by the grace of God now, does that hard work. Because they know whatever they find there, he's already paid for on the cross, hasn't he? You're secure. That's why you can do it. That's why you can look at your heart, because whatever you find there, however dark, however deep, however sinful it is, if you've trusted him, he's already paid for on the cross. That's why Christians can do this hard work that Paul's telling Timothy to do. Because you're secure. You're secure. Whatever you find there, he's paid for. So be encouraged then to do that hard work. Be encouraged to do it. Leads us to our final image. 
The first one, the workers unashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, the useful vessels clean from the inside out. The final one is the Lord's servant speaks the truth in gentleness. Look at verse 23 to 26. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. As a preacher, as a teacher, or you as one who will speak the truth in our age, here's what Paul is really saying. Conflict will come. It's, it's unavoidable in some ways. Conflict will come. So the final passage here isn't telling us to avoid all controversies or all discussions just to make sure they're valuable ones that deserve your time, that deserve your energy. As I think about myself, when conflict or discussions have come in my life, what is the natural way I, tend, I can respond when disagreement arises? Well, the passage says quarrel, but you've maybe experienced that, that feeling you're sitting there and you know you've got a disagreement with this person. Maybe it's in a group discussion. You're sitting across from them. And it's something kind of wells up inside of you, doesn't it? I've almost had times where I'm kind of like, I feel a little shaky almost inside. You ever had that? You're kind of like, I, I, you, don't, you know, don't tell me there's no heart when I know that I, I get that feeling of like, just something inside of me is not feeling right. Uh, I can feel it kind of welling up inside of me. So we ask, what's my motive in this discussion? What's my motive in this debate, you might even say? If it's just to win an argument, I may win, but what's going to happen to the person? They're going to feel destroyed. They're going to feel destroyed. To be the Lord's servant, the passage says, is to have also the Lord's desires. And the desire is not just to win an argument, but to see if God may have perhaps grant repentance to see if a soul will be saved. That's the motive. That's the motive that he says, Timothy, you're to have as the Lord's servant. Not to win an argument and look great and put that person in their place, but to hopefully see them come to know the Lord, to repent, that God would grant that to them. So Paul calls Pastor Timothy then to respond gently with kindness, patiently enduring evil, correcting with gentleness. It really is, as we put on our outline, speaking the truth with gentleness. You've heard it another way. Speak the truth with love, but somebody who's gentle is because they love. To speak the truth with gentleness is what Paul is calling the pastor to. But really all of us. What's our motive when we do enter into debate, discussion? Is it to win an argument? see someone repent, to see someone trust Christ, to see someone embrace him for the first time. That's the difference to hear between the Lord's servant or somebody who may just want to bash somebody over the head with an argument. That's the difference. This is a really big picture here. This is a big calling for pastors. Paul speaks to Timothy. When you realize at some level all of us are called to this I mean, this can be overwhelming. It kind of was for me this week a little bit. When you put these two weeks together then now, think of that. Those six images. A soldier, an athlete, um, a hardworking farmer, an unashamed worker, a holy vessel, a general servant. That's like six jobs alone. I can barely handle one sometimes, right? There's six things there, Paul's saying. 
Who can do this? Well, no one really. You can't. I can't. But God can. Take a look at this quote. It's from, it's from our parenting seminar. It's from uh, Paul Tripp, who is the uh, one who's going to be speaking. We're going to be watching. I, I think it's appropriate, though, this morning. I saw it. It fits as well today. God never calls you to a task without giving you what you need to do it. And he never sends you without going with you. He never calls us to something, whether it's parenting, whether it's marriage, whether it's discipleship, whether it's to preach or teach. He doesn't call it to you without first giving you his power, his grace, his mercy, his spirit, his gospel, and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Never. Jesus, when he was speaking of how difficult the salvation of the wealthy was, said this, uh, Jesus looked at them and said, as they were asking him, how is this possible? How is this possible that the rich can be saved? Or you might be thinking, how is this possible I can keep my marriage together? How is this possible I can speak the truth? How is any of this possible? And Jesus responded, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things. The call of God on your life may feel right now impossible. The trial you might be facing right now might feel Impossible. Getting out of bed in the morning might right, for you right now feel impossible, or insurmountable. But God is with you. He is for you. And actually, he's the one doing the work through you. Not only the work of saving you, but of transforming you. He's going with us, that quote said. And I would take it one step further. He's not only going with us, but he's gone before us, hasn't he? Who was the Lord's ultimate servant? Servant? Christ. Who was the Lord's ultimate vessel? Christ. Who was the Lord's ultimate hardworking farmer, athlete? Christ. He went before you. And he already did it perfectly. He lived the perfect life you could never live for you. The true unashamed worker. Perfectly divided the word and taught it. The truest and best vessel of God. Rescued sinners with his perfect life and death. And finally, the Lord's true ultimate servant, I thought of a couple verses from Isaiah this week. We'll close, close with them. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds were healed. He now, Christ, poured out his soul to death, was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. You see, he's not only the model of the best, the ultimate, but he's also our security. He's also your salvation. And he's also your power to follow in his ways. It's him. He not only goes with us, he went before us. The way of the unashamed worker, the useful vessel, and our ultimate true servant. Let's pray. Father, use these words today. May they have been cut straight and true as you called Timothy to. You call all of us to and pastors and teachers and preachers in particular. Lord God, use these words in our hearts today. May people know, may we understand, it is hard work as we sit, as we listen, as we speak, as we try to understand your text. Yes, it's clear. Yes, it's plain on, on its face. We also have to work to apply it, to understand it. So help us not grow frustrated in that, in our own personal Bible study or on a Sunday morning. Let us recommit to the value of your word that it gives truth and life like blood and oxygen. 
and, and chases away darkness and death. And true repentance in life may come through it. So work in our hearts today, God. Let us do the hard work of speaking the truth, looking at our hearts, and serving you. Christ, and we pray. Amen.